0: Welcome to Saturday Night at the Movies, the podcast that celebrates classic, cult, and current films, and the people that made them, and many other aspects of pop culture. I'm your host, Steve Rubin. Our producer is Ben Shrewsbury, and our signature theme was composed by Greg Lehrhoff. Here it's always Saturday night, and our mission is to chronicle film and pop cultural history one memory at a time. Tonight we welcome a very special figure in Los Angeles film history. He's been a special effects man, an actor, a classic prop collector and restorer, a film historian, a showman, and a museum entrepreneur. Let's welcome Bob Burns. Hi, Bob.
1: Hello there, sir. how are
0: you? I'm great, it's great to have you on the show. I I, I, I have to tell you that Growing up in L.A. and starting to write for Cinefantastic magazine back in the 70s and meeting people like Bill Malone, your name came up quite a bit. And when I first met you, I just was so excited to find somebody who loved movies as much as I did. (laughs) I do love movies. (laughs) So are you an L.A. native? Did you grow up in L.A.? Uh, well, yeah, I, I came out here
1: uh, when I was six years old, so I guess I could be a Californian, yeah. <laughs> where
0: Where did you come from?
1: Oklahoma. And the original Okie, okay, if that, that song was written about, that's where I was born.
0: Now, what, was your dad affiliated at all with the film business?
1: No, no, no. He, uh, he worked for a, near, a Lockheed Aircraft, that's what he worked for. You know, I guess, I don't know what the heck they did. They put planes together, I suppose.
0: <laughs> and so, so, did so. Did you know any, like growing up uh, through school and everything, did you know anybody in the film business or did it, it was all a self-starter on your part?
1: That's pretty much the way it was, yeah. And a neighbor of mine uh, worked at Republic Studios and uh, she was a secretary to Roy Barcroft, who was one of the great heavies in the days of it, uh, <laughs> Republic anyway. And he became like an uncle to me. And it was just a, I just met him one day. Uh, she brought him over and here, here he is. And he was doing a, a serial called the Purple Monster Strikes. And she said monster and I was interested. <laughs> and I got to go over one day when he was doing chapter nine, as a matter of fact. I'd never been on a set, but I didn't know what all that stuff was. And I see another, Suddenly, a, another purple monster walking, <laughs> and I'm thinking, "Whoa, what's this?" And it turned out that was just stuntmen, and uh, it was it was a, a great thrill in my life that I, I never I've never forgotten it. I mean, here I am watching, and it's one of during the stage fight with all the stunt guys, and oh my god, I mean, it was it was the most amazing thing I, that ever happened to me.
0: You know, going on a film set, which is you know, uh, people go take the Universal tour these days and they see movie lots. But being part of the actual ma- filmmaking process is a rare privilege for people to um, to experience. Now, tell, tell me the name of the gentleman who was the heavy again. What was his name? Roy Barcroft. Oh, Roy hey, Barcroft. I, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the IMDb listing for the Purple Monster Strikes, a movie that was released in 1945. Yes, <laughs> I was 10 years old. <laughs> so uh, you went to school. Uh, did you Did you go to university or did you go to work right away?
1: I just went to work. I went to work at CVS radio I was an usher for the radio shows like Jack Benny and those kind of shows and I, I loved it absolutely loved it
0: that's that's interesting that's funny so you met a lot of celebrities that way now I, I read yeah. in, I read in your biography that you met you befriended an AIP effects guy named Paul Blaisdell
1: yes indeed he was my best friend
0: how did you meet Paul Uh, Well, my wife and I
1: went to a a gathering uh, of Ray Bradbury when he was talking about uh, Moby Dick. And I thought that'd be interesting to hear about because he had something to do with the production of it. And uh, we happened to be sitting right next to Paul and Jackie Blaisdell. And during a break, we just kind of got talking, you know. And uh, he said he was building a monster. And as soon as he said that, he got my interest for sure. I loved it and then he was he uh, he didn exactly was two of the greatest people in the world I, I mean he he became my mentor he became my idol everything you could possibly think of, it's good he did and he did things like the she creature it conquered the world and the care from beyond space I mean he had he, no training I mean he was just him he and his wife just made this stuff up as a doll, I mean he sculpted it up in clay and, Oh, my gosh. I mean, he did just some great, great things. And, uh, boy, that was, that was a, you know, for me, uh, an introduction to really great, great filmmaking stuff. It was so much fun.
0: Well, at that time, I was going to the Saturday, mat- Saturday you know, afternoon matinees where they'd show a couple of science fiction movies or horror movies. And I remember vividly seeing AIP's Invasion of the Saucerman. <laughs> and I remember those little guys walking around with those long fingernails. And it sounds like you got on that set and worked a little bit with Paul. Is that true? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, Paul, Paul became, like I said, my, my best friend, my mentor, and everything. I mean,
0: anything I learned, I learned from him.
1: And uh, he just learned from scratch. I mean, there weren't any books or videos or anything showing you how to do any of this stuff. And he just self-taught, and that's the way it was. And, uh, yeah, the Saucerman, to me, is special because, uh, well, it, I get to be on the set the whole time they were doing this, the shoot, And uh, I, I, I'm in the film a couple of times, if matter of fact. He'd never recognized uh, me. I'm, I'm in the, this car when the had hand gets cut off. And it has a little eyeball on it. You can see what's going on. And it crawls up the back of the seat of the car. Now, the girl is in, in the you know, seat, and I'm driving, hopefully. And here it comes climbing up its cut-off hand with its eyeball looking around. And it gets ready. And what it does, is it can inject these little needles that come out, and it's raw alcohol. Now, if you're not drunk, it'll just make you drunk. If you're drunk, it'll give you alcoholic poisoning, and you'll die. I mean, that's the gag and uh and so i you know it was working with paul and and jackie and just having a great time myself you know but these heads they were pretty big they were fiberglass shells they were kind of hard they they were a little bit heavy and these little guys i mean they kind of suffered with them (laughs) they were oh man But, but they all did a great job they all you know thought it was so great to be in a film like this and 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 the film itself is very—it's a comedy, basically. It's got some spooky stuff and things like that in too, but it, it's basically a comedy. And uh, it 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 was it was a very big hit for AIP, as a matter of fact. It, uh, it made them a lot of money. And uh, so it was—you know—that was my. My intro to movies, though, I guess you could call it something like that.
0: Oh, sure, sure. Well, I, I call those movies uh, Lo- Lover's Lane Science Fiction. Uh, <laughs> 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 There's they're, they're always out in the woods. Uh, do you remember where they shot most of uh, Saucer Men? It was over in Hollywood, stage. I think
1: it was also Western, but I'm not positive. Western Avenue, I think, because they had a couple of stages in that area and uh it might have been where uh they shot the uh oh what the heck were those pictures that they they did oh it was when uh oh you know i can't remember now i'm like, i'm uh, i'm pretty old now so I...
0: <laughs> no 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 it's completely fine most most of the f- film is a night shoot so the, obviously there were some night exteriors and uh those little saucer men were so vivid i remember there were trading cards at the time. I think a lot of AIP titles have these little trading cards. And I remember those little saucer men being kind of spooky, but you're right. It was kind of a fun. Now, did you stick with Blaisdell? Did you continue to do some work with him? Uh, once in a while, not, not too
1: much. Uh, I mean, he was a, a loner, so to speak. And with him and Jackie, they kind of did it all. And, uh, but he kind of took me under his wing though and, and taught me a lot of stuff uh, that I didn't know anything about. And uh, so I guess you could say he's the guy that, that broke me into movies, I suppose, I don't know. But he was he was an incredible guy an incredible talent because there were no books, no movies, anything about how do you build these things, whatever. And he just came up with it and that's all there was to it. He put AIP on the map too, by the way.
0: Now, one of your credits is an unusual one because we don't necessarily think of you as an actor, but you played Tracy the Gorilla on the Ghostbusters CBS TV shows opposite Forrest Tucker and Larry Storch. How on earth did you end up playing a gorilla?
1: Well, I'll tell you, when I was a kid, I loved jungle movies and I loved the gorilla guys. I mean, I, I got to know most of them that were still alive. And uh it, it 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 mystified me. I mean I I love the guy. Monkey suit, they look great. So I told my wife one day uh that uh, I said, let's build a gorilla suit. She said, Oh yeah, sure, I'll go down and get a pattern right away. Of course there's no pattern. <laughs> but she came up with like a clown suit because it, it, it's big and you can build foam rubber inside of it from muscles and all that kind of thing. And then uh, a young Rick Baker, who's now well, still, the best makeup artist in the world, I guess. He built my head for me, the, the gorilla head, and Kogar, K O G A R, was his name. And uh, and goes, Kogar, he sounds guttural, so that of, sounded kind of good. And uh, then my wife made the suit, and Rick also made the hands and the feet. And he was just a kid then, just a young guy. And uh, anyway, it, uh, it worked pretty good. Uh, the job, first job I ever had, was on the Mickey Rooney show. It was a, a show where he plays a guy that has some sort of a, a thing out at the beach, and he's wanting. It's uh, supposed to be filming a movie in, in that area, and he tries to get on that so he can have a shot at his place. And uh, so it, uh, they had a gorilla in there, and it was. <laughs> It was kind of funny, because this uh, friend of mine's dad was an animal guy, animal trainer guy at Lionel Comfort. And he was a great guy. He, he, Lionel was my best friend for many years. And so we uh, uh, said, okay, we'll build, we build a gorilla suit. You know, we got it made. And uh, then they heard about this thing. His dad told Lionel, Lionel told me, and said, you know, when you might be your chance to get inside for one thing. I said, oh, that'd be great. So I, I went over and uh, didn't really audition. When they saw the suit, they liked the suit real well. And so, uh, and they said, well, you seem to know all the things about these animals. <laughs> I said, well, I studied them. Went down to the San Diego Zoo, to them, saw the gorillas down there, all that kind of stuff. And uh, it just... Kind of went on from there. I did that. was just a bit part. Uh, they, they brought me into the studio and chained me up to a little thing, you know, in a stage and uh, until they're ready for me and all that stuff. And it it it, it, was, it was a small part. It wasn't very big, but it was it was neat though. I mean, I broke it, and it also got me my my ticket into SAG, which was the best thing that could possibly happen. And so it worked worked real fine. I got along with uh, Mickey Rooney extremely well. And uh, there's another guy doing a a gorilla, too, who uh, uh, I won't really mention his name, but he he wasn't a very nice guy. I'll just put it that way. And uh, so uh, Rooney didn't like this guy at all. He didn't care for him. And uh, he was about Rooney's size, and it should be taller than that, you know. And so I was taller. So we we did his shots and then my shots. And so they come over when I was getting ready to go home and say, Bob, would you like to make another, uh, you know, a uh, bunch of money? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, of course, you know. He said, well, we'd like to shoot all of your scenes over with the guy. And uh, we were, well, anyway, the upshot is he was in the union. I wasn't yet. So he made such... Some kind of thunder and whatever it was he raised. And, and that since I wasn't in the union yet, they couldn't use the footage they shot with me. So that uh, was okay. But that
0: got me inside. And
1: from there on, I just kind of kept going.
0: <laughs> so did you continue to use the gorilla suit in other parts? Or were you playing just a human?
1: Oh, no. No, I, uh, I did quite a, quite a few things. Uh, with well, the, the biggest thing I ever did was the Ghostbusters. Now that's a TV show, not the movie or anything. It's got three Ghostbuster guys, and it's Spencer, Tracy, and Kong. Well, Kong is not me. I'm Tracy, and Larry Storch was uh, Spencer. You know, and and Tucker, and all those two guys who work with. I I was scared to death of Tuck. I heard he had quite a temper. He was six foot six or something. He like was he was a giant to me, but he turned out to be the nicest guy. I think both of those guys were well, just you,
0: you know you know Forrest Tucker and Larry Storch because they later start on that TV comedy series F Troop.
1: That's right. He sure did. And uh, and I and I well, I love Tucker in, in Western too. I, I like my Western fans. And he did a lot of Westerns, really good. And of course, Larry, I saw him on television. So I I was in heaven. I mean, that's all there was to it. I I was around these people and and they treated me just so well. And so I, 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 yeah, I was just the luckiest guy in the world. To be where I was and what happened to me, the way it happened to me. And uh Boy, those are wonderful memories. I, uh, of course, now I'm, I'm an old guy. Now I can't do that anymore. I least that's check what the doctor told me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, at that time, at that time in your life, your primary focus was on acting, or did you have another goal in mind?
1: Uh, no,
0: not really. I mean, I I like to do character.
1: Plays and stuff like that. And I so I was I was a mummy in one of the, some picture, I can't even remember what the heck that was. And monsters and stuff. And uh, and like my wife said, she never saw me so happy as I was when I was doing this park. It was just great. But the Tracy as he became known, uh, was just so much fun. Boy, I mean it was hot. And my, my wife put a thermometer in my suit one time <laughs> and it uh turned to be a 120 degrees. That's hot.
0: Oh and my I goodness! Don't
1: like, yeah, I don't. I don't do well in heat. However, I love doing this so much. I just threw that out the window and said, "Okay, I'm doing this." And oh man, it was. I, I think I probably had more fun than almost anybody I know. <laughs> <It> could be. <laughs> and my dialogue was simple. I never had to make a line. Could,
0: that was it. You know. So I had, <laughs> Well, it's funny because uh, in to get into the Screen Actors Guild, they often talk about throwing you a line or two to make you eligible. How did you become eligible through guerrilla work? Well,
1: it was uh, I, I guess the guerrilla guys and clowns and all this stuff kind of got into Sag, you know, just by doing the stuff they did, and. Uh, then I, I just I didn't even know about SAG. I didn't even know what it was and then I found out, you know. And then when Ghostbusters came along, uh Forrest Tucker was so great and helpful to me. He went to SAG for me and made sure everything was cool and all that kind of stuff. And uh wow, I mean I was in hell. That's just all it was to. It. I I loved every minute of it.
0: Now you you your love of monsters and working with Blaisdell and playing Tracy. Obviously, you're you're into the fabric of Hollywood. I mean, science fiction, fantasy. How early in your career did you bump into Forey Ackerman?
1: Oh, geez, I was uh, very early 50s, I think, is when I finally met him. And he was like the grandfather of all, all of us monster kids, so to speak. Right. As everybody you know he, he was just a wonderful guy and uh, he had the ticket in to see these movies before they were released and he got a lot of us to go with him and well, uh, it, it was a, it was a great lesson for me to learn that's for sure
0: well there was this you know the, the the kind of was this inside group of guys who were kind of the caretakers of science fiction fantasy and horror in town and you uh began to get a reputation now uh your your halloween shows were legendary how early did you start putting on your halloween shows
1: uh 1967 when i started and we finished up in the 90s
0: (laughs) so what uh what was your first motivation to do a halloween show out of your house
1: Well, I, you know, I heard about kids with rotten apples and razor blades, and boy, I hated it, because I loved Halloween when I was a kid. I just loved it. I loved to put on costumes and that kind of stuff, but uh, I I told my wife, I said, Kathy, we've got to do something to help kids here, because our street, we'd be a pretty good street for trick-or-treating and stuff, but still, some people were getting hurt, some kids were. So we started building a thing in my living room, like a Jekyll and Hyde thing I did one time, stuff like that. And then I was lucky enough to know a lot of people like Dennis Mirren, who's won probably more Academy Awards than God, I think, and uh, and then Rick Baker, of course, he was 13 when I met him, and all these guys, and we all all just fell into a big vat, I guess you'd say, and, and there we were, and we all loved it. of course rick got you know rick's done now heavens and all of these guys you know and and then got directors like john landis who's very very nice guy and and taught me a lot of stuff about kind of the business part of it i'm not very good at that i just to put the suit on to do whatever the work is you know and that's about it and uh so i've just been so lucky i mean i really have because I got to do stuff that a lot, a lot of people never get to do. I mean, I, I had a TV series called Ghostbusters, and that was great. I, I got to do some movies and work on some movies, like Get the Terror Beyond Space, and Paul Lisdell did, and Cheat uh, Creature, and uh, Invasion of the Saucer Man, which is one of my favorites. And it's, it's really funny. And sure. a lot of Yeah. And there was a scene where one of the guys uh, gets his needles stuck in it from his fingers, and he makes him jump, of course, and all that. And he, he did not want to do this close up with these fingers going to his neck. Uh, it's like the old knife goes into his blade, you know, that's the way it worked. Anyway, so uh, when Paul and, and Jackie and I were, were working in the soundstage doing the insert stuff, that's uh, my neck, you see close up the, <laughs> getting the,
0: the finger. Well, <laughs> it's not of- they talk about famous uh, uh, body parts in history. I think your neck has now joined the Kaidra.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't even think of it that way. And then I also doubled uh, Steve uh, Taro, I think, which is his name, in, in the car when uh, the hand starts walking up the back of the car. It can crawl and cut its own eyeball. Right? And it's coming after the girl who's sitting there by me. And so I got to sit with this, the double for the girl and uh and, and then why they did the whole thing is Paul you know ran up the back of the thing it it looked it looked really good i mean uh Paul was just such a master at doing stuff well he could just <laughs> i don't think anything could stop him the building stuff. he just did everything and uh so i had i just i just had great times i mean I didn't have to go through all the baloney of the these things and how much it's going to cost and all this stuff. You know, I'm not good at that stuff, but Paul took care of that and uh, and and I, I just it was like I was going to heaven every time we worked on one of these movies. I helped him in, in the sheet picker get in the outfit and all that stuff. And oh, it was, it was to me it, it was just a wonderful time. I mean, it really was. And and I well, like my wife said, we weren't married and then. She said. I never seen you so happy that when you we get this gorilla suit and you start doing gorilla bitch. and, and I get yeah, I got it. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, uh,
0: in addition to Steve Terrell who played the lead, uh, another actor in Invasion of the Saucerman was Frank Gorshin. Yes. And yeah. of course, everyone knows him today as one of the great impressionists of all time, but uh, oh, yeah. he was good. To, what, do remem- <clears throat> what do you remember? What do you remember? About Eddie Kahn, the director. Do you remember anything special about him?
1: Well, uh well yeah, and he was so fast. I mean, he could do eight, nine, ten setups a day if if they were ready to do it, you know. He could do it. And uh, I mean he was fast. And that's why he worked on a lot of westerns and stuff in the thirties and forties and fifties and this. And uh the only thing is he has a pipe in his mouth most of the time. <laughs> and Sometimes he had talked. We were very artistic. <laughs> I couldn't understand him, but he was a, he was a very nice guy. Very adept at what he was doing. I mean, he was—he was a very good director. And uh, like I said, I was just in heaven. That's all it was. To it, you know, I'd go home, and and I, I couldn't wait till the next morning came so I could get going and get on the set. And here we go. You know, it's a lot of fun.
0: So. so and, um... You and I both share a great love of George Powell's The Time Machine.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> if, if,
0: ever, if ever there was a perfect movie on so many levels, it's The Time Machine. And you've got to walk us through the story of how you found The Time Machine, because it's one of the great, uh, great books of all time. So tell, tell us about that search. Well, I I didn't know anything about it at the
1: time, and then uh, MGM had a big auction. Where they sold everything, including the time machine. And I thought, gee, I'd like to see that thing. So my wife and I went out there, and I looked at it, and it was great. And the things, the chair and the, the console, were missing because uh, when the guy got it, he wanted the barbecue. It's an original re- barbecue, it's what it was, and so he and he didn't care about the rest of the machine. I didn't know about this at the time but uh, then I uh, I heard about it from a friend of mine who said down in Orange County somewhere there's a, a thrift shop type thing or something and they had the time machine there what was left of it and you saw the big dish and all that stuff and it looked great and uh, so Kathy and I went down there <laughs> as fast as we could go and there it was and the chair was missing and the control box was missing.
0: So but, are uh, you are you telling are you telling me Bob that a guy went to the MGM auction and bought the time machine just because he wanted the barber chair? <laughs> yes, what they said. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, I never heard about it. But you know, through the rest of it,
1: he didn't really care much about you know. So uh, when I went down and saw it, and I said, well, "Boy, I wish we could get that." You know, but, of course, I'm I'm still working at CBS as a film editor. And uh, I I don't have that much money to go, because when it got to, I think, around almost 10 grand or something like that, uh, Cap, we're at the auction, and I said, let's go home. I don't even want to hear this, because I don't have that kind of money. I can't do it. So that's what we did. We uh, we went on home, and I you know I thought about it and thought about it. And then uh, later on, a few years later, uh, I heard that there's this fella at a traveling show, like trucks, big trucks and stuff, and inside he had these props, and the time machine was one of them, and uh, the only thing he cared about it was, you know, having people come in and see it and give him money. (laughs) That was about it. So I finally traced it down uh, where it was in another little little curio shop, you might say, something like that. We went out to see it, and uh, there it was. Uh, Oh, my God, you know. But I knew George Powell. I met him quite a while before that, and he always told me, you're going to end up with that time machine because you love it so much. I know you're going to end up with it. And I'm thinking, yeah, sure. you know. <laughs> well, anyway, then when we really found it and it was in a strip shop and it was it was for sale for a thousand bucks. And I thought, wow. Ooh, gee, well, I talked to some buddies of mine and stuff like that. Every, we came up with the money somehow. So I went out and uh, and I I got it. I actually got it. And so when I got it home, you know, the, the chair was missing. And like I said, the, the control panel was missing. But George had given me the blueprints to the time machine oh, years before. And so I had them right there. And so I had guys you know, like Dennis Muir and uh, that helped build it again. And oh, oh, I just, Tom Sherman, all these, these friends of mine that are good. in were carpentering and all special effects, whatever you want to say. You and know, they're all good at it. And I was just so lucky. And so they they put the thing back together, and uh, it just looked so great. But when I first brought it home, I I called George and I said, "George, you're not going to believe this. There's a time machine sitting in my garage." It's <laughs> <laughs> sitting in your garage. I said, "I bought it. I bought it today. He said, it's just missing a chair and missing a control box that you gave me the blueprint years ago." We can do that. We can put them back together. It's not a problem. He was thrilled to death. He was so excited. But he had never really thought about sitting in the time machine before. And uh, so the first thing he did, we did a, a Halloween show based on the time machine. And so the time machine was, was just the whole kind of the big centerpiece of it. And so he and his wife, we invited him over. And he finally sat in the machine. And I never saw a guy so happy in my whole life. And uh, my friend Joe Viscos was was... Since the pictures that he shot and oh my god just one picture of george it's there it is you know and uh so that's the picture george wanted to use from then on to send out to people you know it's him sitting a color shot of him sitting in the time machine waving and oh my god it was <laughs> i never never felt that good in my whole life bob, really doing.
0: bob was the machine itself the uh the wheel was it a heavy wheel or was it fairly light?
1: Oh, it was it was fiberglass. It was wasn't very heavy. No, I mean one guy could carry it pretty easily. It was just so so wide, you know. It was almost over oh, six and a half feet wide. And getting your hands at unless you had a gorilla, <laughs> so you couldn't get the hands around it. But uh, two guys could handle it pretty easy. And, and the dish was in perfect condition. We didn't have to do anything to it at all. It was perfect. Uh, some of the others stuff was scraped up a little. So it, was, it was easy fixes. It was simple, but, but the chair was the one hard to, to figure. I mean, you know, we had the blueprints. How are we going to do it? And so, uh, Tommy Sherman and, uh, uh it's really funny. Uh, one of my friends and just people that, Fontana, D.C. Fontana is what she went by, because there were very many women writing scripts, and she wrote some of the best shows. Oh, my God, she wrote Dallas. She, I, I just can't even tell you the ones she wrote, and they were just wonderful. And so she and Lynn Barker, this other gal friend of ours, really worked on the time machine, and uh, Tom Sherman helped them build the new chair we actually built. It. And, uh, oh, because I didn't know where the original was at that time. I did just, you know, and so I was just I was like a a kid for Christmas <laughs> the greatest Christmas present you could ever have.
0: You uh you got George Powell in the chair. Did you ever meet Rod Taylor?
1: Yes, I, he was in the chair too. <laughs>
0: oh, that's great. That must have been a very special day.
1: Oh, it was. He was he was a wonderful man. Rod was so great, and he he came over and we were shooting. It's a special. That's on the uh, Time Machine. Uh, well, we're on to laser just now, it's on DVD, of course. Of thing, and he and, uh, uh, well, I guess Philby, you know, and Alan and Young. A, Alan Young. Yeah. And they did a uh, somebody, I, I think David Duncan, who wrote the Time Machine. He, They got a hold of him and he wrote a little short subject type thing where they come back, George comes back one more time and uh, you know what? It's so great. Then Philby sees him, and uh, it's, it's it's like twelve, fourteen minutes, I guess. And and the, 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 everything's reunited again. The time machine and everything. Oh, it was oh, what a great day that was. Oh my God! Did
0: you? And, uh, was, the other actor from that show that everybody loves is uh, the the cute blonde Yvette Mimiu. Uh,
1: oh yes, yes.
0: Did you meet her as well?
1: No, I didn't get to meet her. I mean, the movie was done already. You know, right, of course, of course. Every, everything about it was, was wonderful,
0: yeah. Sure, sure. Now, another one of the props which you have in your collection is one of the last, if not the last, surviving 18-inch armature from the original King Kong from 1933 from Marcel Delgado, the sculptor. How on earth did you get that?
1: Well, it's kind of an interesting story. Uh, I, I worked at CBS, like I said, and I knew these guys uh, that worked for uh, animation studios. You know, like uh, the stop motion stuff uh, and the Alcatraz kid, well, all those kind of things. You know, <clears throat> and uh, then I I met Dave Allen, who's a great animator. Oh, and, and such a wonderful guy. And he died way too young. He, you know, just one of those things, I guess. But anyhow, uh, he was at Cascade, I think, was well. That was the second name for the, their show. I mean, their workforce. I can't think what. Well, anyway, that didn't matter. And uh, they uh, Phil, uh, is, you know, boy, I'm getting old now, and I can't. remember. Is it uh,
0: Phil? Is it Phil Tippett? No, Phil Tellison.
1: There you
0: go. Phil oh, Tellison. He,
1: he headed the uh, uh, the one animation house for doing commercials and all that kind of stuff. And uh, somehow they, when they were buying stuff from RKO, and they found some boxes and they opened it up. One of the boxes, it's Mighty Joe Young. What's left of it? I mean, he had fur on it. So, but they had to take it off because it was broadened and it wasn't doing the armature any good. So he called me one day and said, Bob, come over and see this thing. So I went over and saw it, beautiful, you know, thing, thing and still looks like Kong, even though it doesn't have any skin on it now. But so anyway, uh, he, he loaned it to a, a Cars and Stars or some outfit like that. And they went belly up and then the thing, Kong just disappeared. Nobody knew where he was, along with some other props and stuff. And that. Anyway, I, I had to uh, to help my friend Bill Malone. He bought the original gourd from David Sachil. And I I'm, I'm the only one that had a wagon big enough to get it, so we went out and got it. And when I was out there I see this sort of box sitting on this thing. And I look and it's the Kong Armature in there. Son of a gun. The so it was in, thought, it was in
0: it was in Larry Harmon's garage with the gourd statue?
1: No, no, no. It was it was a whole different thing. I mean oh. the the yeah, 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 that's where the he won there was in his garage too. Yeah, worked. He had some like wings on it and stuff. So anyway, Bill Lone got it and he completely refurbished it so it looked just exactly as a dead end it did in the movie. It's just perfect. And so anyway with 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 Kong, uh uh Phil Kellison said, you know, just uh, he, he's a good part of history. And he said, you, he said, you talk about having a museum someday. And I said, well, I'm hoping so. Yeah, yeah. He said, well, I want you to take Kong now. And he's yours. You take care of him from now on. Because you're the only guy I think that really loves him that much. And I said, oh, I do indeed. And that's how I got it. But that easy was kind of what happened. It was, yeah, you know, no, no, trying to haggle some It was too for him.
0: So 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 back up a little bit. You said you um you met this Phil T- Tellison. He's the yeah. one who, who he's the one who owned the Kong. Is that it was his?
1: Well yeah, it was when he they bought a they bought a, a, a bought a whole bunch of uh, prop things from RPO and, and that armature was I mean still was some some of Kong on it was there. And so they just had it there. It, they kind of looked at it and walked in there. And so and Phil knew how I felt about this kind of stuff and was getting a few props and stuff. And so, uh, wow, he, he's one day he says, George, take it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so,
0: so over the years, uh, you got the armature and it was in pretty distressed condition. Have you done anything, is it? Or is it just pri- 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 primarily the metal now? It's just the metal now.
1: Yeah, but it still looked, the skull still looks like home. And so it was, uh, he, he's one of my prized possessions. And then I, I also, uh, uh, before this, actually got one of the Mighty Joe Youngs, which is the same thing the skull would do. But it's, uh, it's it's pretty nice, you know. And, and this kind of stuff, I, I just loved it. And I, I never thought about doing a museum or any kind of a thing when I first started all this stuff. The very first prop I ever got. I think i might have been 10 years old or something like that, was the, uh, there's a cane head, wolf's cane head in the original Wolfman that Lon Chaney buys at an antique store. Uh, and, and it has a wolf, with the wolf's head on it. Uh, it, it. It's a super looking thing. And anyway, it was really made out of rubber because Katie had to get killed with it. <laughs> and get beat with, it. And uh, so... This guy at the prop shop, uh, that he used to have a thing, he built those the dinosaurs for uh, Unknown Island and all that. Oh, god, it was really good. I mean, here's this kid walking around with big, full size dinosaurs walking around. <laughs> I love that, it was so great. But anyway, it just things just kind of worked out like that. It was just, a, I don't know, I guess I'm just the luckiest boy in town. That's so sure. It. sure.
0: Now another one of your celebrated props is the globe uh, from Invaders from Mars. How did that come into your possession?
1: Martian intelligence, yeah. Uh, that uh, a guy I don't know where he found it. He, he said he found it in some sort of surface or something, and because uh, they were billing it as uh, some sort of man from Mars, something like that. I don't know. And so it had been painted silver. And instead of the gold, the copper looked like it was in the movie. And so, anyway, this guy said, you know, he wanted some posters. I had some really, really, I guess, rare photos. I didn't know they were that rare. I never looked at it. And one was the mummy, the Karloff mummy. And uh, I think they said maybe a couple of years ago, it, it, uh, it was worth about ten, twelve thousand $12,000. I had no idea about that. I didn't even know. But anyway, he, he traded that to me, you know, in the bell jar, or the jar he was in, or whatever, and the Martian, and so I gave him the, the poster. As all well of always said, we were both happy. For that. That's so, great. so
0: the uh, the globe had a creature inside, like a little a little uh, a mask thing.
1: Yeah, it was a a little he had tentacles on him on each side of his head, and he had just sort of a bulbous head thing. And it didn't really move, but they had a a thing that a puppet that whenever you saw it moving around, they put it on an actor. A little lady, uh, it was her head, and they they put these uh, tentacles on her side of her head, like her ears would be, and they can move it. You know, it's like a puppet; they can move it around. Uh, I I I,
0: I remember it well.
1: Yeah, it's 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 really neat. It still looks good, you know and uh, the rubber's held up remarkably well uh, i don't know why it just was good rubber i guess and uh, so the the head was still in it and i got it so we just had to repaint it the copper color and that's all we had to do with it and that was it and uh so you know i i was I'm, most of the time i'm just lucky that's all i mean at the right place the right time whatever and i loved it so much it was just oh god it's just great everybody recognized you know what it is now and they just uh, put out the, the new version of it now i haven't seen it yet but i heard it just remarkable they did a restoration thing on this and you can't believe you know and so i'm i'm just so happy for that so and that's how i've met a lot of my props and stuff people have given to me that they were in the garage or something I, I don't know. I was just a, a lucky guy. Well,
0: well, Invaders from Mars probably caused more childhood nightmares than most movies. I think we all, as little kids, remember that spaceship crashing into the sand pit and those oh, yeah. those, those, um, those, um, those mu- mutants. Green guy. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Pretty scary yeah. stuff, definitely. Now, you're also, I believe, a collector of props from Alien
1: yes yes (laughs) that was a strange situation uh i wanted to do alien uh, as a halloween show it was still playing in the theater and i said i'm not going to have much love and one day we had a a local show at cbs the morning show and two of the actors and some of the producer people were going to be there from alien to talk about it and so i just went up to him finally and said hey guys I do Halloween shows. And I gave him one of the Star Wars magazines that had the shows in it, and I said I, I would love to do one on you know Alien it would be perfect. And the one guy said, yeah, sounds pretty good to me. And I I did. I thought that was the end of it. Yeah, I got a call like a few days later from the the head. Uh, I, I guess he was just, I don't know what he was. Something to do with the movies. I mean all all the movies. And it you know it I just I just. I played out my story. <laughs> I said, "Here it is. I want to do Alien. It would be really great." And so he called me. And he says, "Yeah, it's okay." The, the brass said, "It's good." They they read the, the uh, copy of the magazine that had the other show you did, and he said, they, "They think it's great." You know, so I got over that hurdle, and I went out to Fox. They had me come out, and they had the, the working face hugger, and they said, "You can take this on." the the original alien head that the, the actor wore and uh, and you know, stuff like that, you know. And so they just said, Here, take it. That's I, oh, I, I can't <laughs> believe this. I just can't believe it, you know. And so, well we've never done that before and we probably know we won't. But you said we've heard about your reputation and how you take care of stuff and we think that's that's fine. That's okay with us. And that's how it worked. I mean I, I after we did the show and everything and Some producers from the Fox lot came over to see it, and they couldn't believe what they saw. I mean, they were just thrilled to death. They were like, "Oh man!" This one guy said, "We've put millions of dollars on our set. It doesn't look any better than this." I said, "Well, you didn't have the right crew."
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is that one of the shows that Dennis Murin worked with you?
1: Yep. Yeah, it was one of the last ones he did before he moved up north. And uh, but he, uh, uh, a lot of guys. You know, Rick Baker worked on it. Oh, just so many people, you know. And it, it just turned out so good. Bob and Jenny Scott, they Bernie burning visual effects guys. They, they built the, the suit. I didn't have the suit. That was the only thing. The suit was all rotted away, but I had the head. And so they, they built the suit from scratch. And I mean, it looked, oh, it just looked so great. <laughs> I was so, so thrilled. Well,
0: uh, who, ended up, who ended up wearing that suit?
1: Uh, well, it was a a friend of mine actually. I was going to wear it, and I came down with pneumonia of all things,
0: and
1: that mm. <laughs> took me out of the loop right away, you know. And so my neighbor, uh, Tom D. Veronica, was his name, and he, he was about my same size and everything, and he had never done anything like this at all, you know. And so he said, "God, I love to do this." <laughs> so, oh, and he was great too. But we had the alien when the crowd was inside the ship and looking around and we talked Walter Koenig, you know, Chekhov, just a buddy of mine anyway. And he did Captain Dallas and the thing and he's walking around and uh, we had, uh, well, my wife was one of them and Dorothy Fontana, the writer was another one, who were uh, the two gals talking to Dallas and all these people in the thing, you know, in the show. And, uh, (coughs) excuse me. Anyway, it, it just worked out so perfect. I mean, God. It, looked, it really looks like part of the movie. It really does. And everybody worked on it. And, and so uh, when I started to take the head back, I said, Why don't you keep it? You know, I almost fainted, <laughs> really. And they said, Well, come on out here. We've got some other stuff you might want. And there was the mechanical face hugger and, and the, uh, the the baby alien guy. Oh, so much stuff I couldn't believe it. And even sets, some of the sets of the mother complex. <laughs> my God. It's so funny, my neighbors thought, oh, he's gone over the hill now. Because two big 18-wheeler trucks came. One was an enclosed one, one was an outside one. And, and there were the sets. You can't believe all the stuff. I got them, these things. The costumes, everything. Nowadays, of course, eBay uh, or you know, that kind of thing uh the auction things it, it, they get all the stuff now but at it's, it's that time they couldn't wait to get rid of all of it you know so and bob
0: so- bob uh when you had a halloween show would you do it like they do at amusement parks would you run a bunch of people through it and then then get another group how did it work
1: yep that's exactly what we did yeah hey it was in our backyard and we built a whole set back there down in the aliens, it, it looked just like the alien set. It really did. So uh, yeah, we put about thirty-five people in this room that come in this room of the ship, and uh, then uh, Walter Taney, like I said, he became Captain for So so he comes walking out, and uh, everybody's watching him, and he he does a whole thing with talking to the girls, you know, in the in the film supposedly and all this stuff and then the alien is actually behind the people all the time they don't know it because we have a, a, a door thing it just looks like a wall inside you can't hear it at all and so they finally you hear the alien way down the hall got one of the screams you know that stuff and everybody's kind of looking down there trying to see something and all of a sudden he's right behind him standing up on the platform about three four feet tall <laughs> oh my god i mean they're some people, I think, of wet the pants, really. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: It was terrifying. I mean, they were really scared. And then, of course, we get a blackout. Right That's it. totally black. And nobody moved. They were afraid to even go anywhere. You know? so, then when we, the lights come back, and the aliens is on, of course, and everything. And Captain Dallas tells her, well, that's our show folks." company. <laughs> it worked out real good. There was a lady that ran out of her shoes. And we kept those shoes for three years. She never came back for them. <laughs> was
0: um, cheating, we... No that that sounds great. I would I would assume that there was a line around the block to be in there.
1: Oh, they were. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Ford and the Alien. We uh, we had, we had to do it for six nights altogether. Howling was just <laughs> not not enough. And because we had almost four thousand people, that's a lot of people, come by and see the show altogether. You know, all the nights we did it. And uh, boy, everybody loved it. Everybody, you know. Oh, and here's one of the greatest things that have. Some, uh, I, what's he called uh, the motorcycle gang, the big one that everybody knows about? Hells Angels? They, yes, that's it. They came to see the show. They heard about it somewhere. Oh, we did a news thing. I put another one. And anyway, here's come these like 30 guys on these sickles, you know. And uh, so I was back watching the show, seeing how it was going. And so the guy headed the line for me, came and said, Bob, you better come out here. I think we might have some problems. And so I went and there they are. And they, they parked their motorcycle all across the street. I mean, you couldn't even get through the street. And I said, ooh, what am I going to do now? You know. So I went and what looked like maybe the head guy. They all looked like head guys to me, big beards and stuff. Anyway, the one guy, he said, are you the guy doing the thing?" And I said, yes, sir, I am. And I said, since there's, there's so many of you, why don't you just come out in the front of the line and we'll get to do? No, no. He said, we'll stand line. that's fine. And I was still kind of shaking about it a little bit. And they did. They stayed in the line and and they, they they did jokes, they did all things, and then other people online were loving it. They were absolutely loving it. And they couldn't have been better. I mean, these guys just couldn't have been better. So they saw the show finally, and they come out and the guy says, Yeah, your name's Burns, right? And I said, Yes, sir. He said, Well, I just want to tell you, what you're doing for the kids and the people is fantastic. He said, What a great thing you're doing. And I gave out candy, of course, too. And uh, so, anyway, they said, And he gives me his card. He said, Look, if you ever have any trouble with this kind of stuff, somebody tried to mess it up or whatever, you call that number. We'll be there as soon as we can and we'll take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I couldn't get a better offer like that. That's for dang sure. They turned out to be really super guys. Nice.
0: So that when you fun. do when you do an alien show, uh, how do you top that the following year?
1: Uh, well, it, it was hard. Uh, uh, what we actually ended up doing was creatures from the black lagoon, and because uh, we had made one of the creature suits a few years ago. And so we gotta get a doughboy pool and all whole thing. I mean, I, there's a, a video that we can't really put out, unfortunately, that has most of the good shows on it. And it's too bad but, but we don't have the clearance to you know, from the studios to, even though it's it's our props we built, it's based on their stuff. So um the attorney said, No, I don't think you better do that because they they could come after you, you know. And I said, oh heck, <laughs> Oh, so, wow. and then, yeah, but, uh, so I have it at least on, on film, or it's on CD now, or DVD. And, uh, oh, God, I can't, I can't believe we did some of stuff. I mean, I look at it now and I say, how in the hell did we do this? Like we did The Exorcist with the gal floats off the bed and the whole thing. <laughs> oh, God, there's so many great things we did. The last one we did was The Thing from Another World, the James Arnest one.
0: Oh. And,
1: uh, Oh, boy, it, uh, we built the inside of the, of the room where, you know, the hallway and all that kind of stuff. And this one friend of ours is, is a makeup artist. He's six foot six, the big guy, and he looks quite a bit like James Garnett. He really does. And so I got my makeup friend to come over and see if we could make him up. And he did. And God, it was, it was James Garnett walking around. It was so cool. And that that is one of those, we did these misconception things, but you're looking one way and something's happening the other way. And that's that's what makes the show's work. And that's what we did. You know, he's, he's behind this wall thing that people don't know about. And they, we have another guy down at the end of the hall, he looks sort of like him. And then the lights, do that's when they turn the lights off, remember the gal stops the generator or whatever it is. And so then he's yelling and screaming. We recorded some of the screams of the alien thing itself, or the thing. I mean, and so it was. It just worked out so wonderfully, was just so great. And uh, so you know, that was our that was our final show. And we, everybody well, I'll, got. Disney. I'll
0: tell you, all the all the amusement parks, whether it's Disneyland or Universal or Magic Mountain, all have these Halloween haunts, and I would think that. Yeah they had to have been inspired by hearing about your shows because they have the same kind of dynamics, although not as, not as clever as yours. Uh, and yeah, that's great. Now I also read that you published a magazine for a while called fantastic monsters of film. Is that true?
1: That's true. Yeah, that's true. And until uh, the, the guy that uh, was the publisher ran off with of all the profits. <laughs> <that we> had. <laughs> so, had you know, Got seven issues or something like that. He burned his place down to his. I don't know. I, I never heard the whole story of it, but, uh, but yeah, it was fun, fun for a while. It really
0: was, it was well, I, I, really would think, I, I would think you were inspired by your relationship with Forey Ackerman, who of course, did his magazine all those years. He hated us <laughs> he really
1: just, yeah, because it was it was starting to take off everybody was because we had a, the first time to use color. Covers of monsters. I mean, real color that I got a hold of. And so, uh, but yeah, Forey he, he didn't take it as like a, a thing with an homage to his, his magazine. Oh, he, he he didn't talk to me for about a year. <laughs> Jeez. And it was different than his magazine, totally different. I mean, our stuff didn't have all the cliche stuff and the forrey as they call them, and things like that. So, that was okay. I mean, you know, but but uh, yeah, he he finally got over it though. I mean, <laughs> he finally yeah you know, before well, uh, about a couple of years later.
0: Well, you've done so many different things, Bob, and, and and I know the fans who are listening and all of your other fans who just over the years you you you've always had that great enthusiasm for everything you do, and it's contagious. And uh you're a hard man to replace because that love of that period is is was was you know that you had that love of that period and oh yeah um, we we've, we've been listening to Bob Burns, everyone who has had such a marvelous career and has saved a lot of history through his diligence and preservation skills and we hope to see those props again someday soon um okay.
1: And we Make sure she got mentioned. She's the one that that
0: really took care of this stuff,
1: you know, and made sure it was it was okay. And now <laughs> yeah. wait, wait,
0: uh, back up. Who are we talking about? My wife. Oh, Kathy. Kathy.
1: Kathy. Yeah, unfortunately, we lost her last year, and it's it's getting it's very hard for me to even <laughs> even do anything now, you know, because we were married for fifty years. That's a long time, you
0: know. Uh, well, Man, we, uh, we we certainly love mentioning her name and and certainly uh, uh, all of her good work and and thank you for mentioning her absolutely. Uh, oh, you, guys, had... you guys were a very formidable team. Yeah, that's, I think
1: that's kind of what it was, you know. But as far as the sets go and all those things that my friends built, the Dennis Muir, and all, all those guys, you know, uh, I just always say the youth were backyard. I guess that them my backyard to do something. Uh, but uh, but I, I just, you know, I loved it, loved doing that stuff. They loved it, too. I mean, it was, it was a fun thing for all of us. And uh, I don't think there was anything else in town like ours, really, except, well, maybe, uh, I don't know, the, the parks or something that had things going. But I don't know for sure. We, uh, we did one time at Magic Mountain, we did, we did the whole Halloween thing for them with the spaceship crash and <laughs> in one of the buildings and all that kind of stuff, and it was, yeah, it was fun too.
0: Sure, so. sure. Well, everyone, you've been listening to Saturday Night at the Movies. I'm your host, Steve Rubin, our producer is Ben Shrewsbury, and again, Bob, thank you for joining us and sharing some great stories from your past.
1: Oh. Thank you for letting me do that. It, it means a lot to me and, and to, to our people and all of stuff. But I'm, uh, I'm thrilled. I'm very thrilled about this.
0: Terrific. Thank you so much. And we'll be talking soon. Okay. Take care.